0: You're listening to the Remembering and Longing Sermon Series at Sojourn J-Town. In this series, we're celebrating all God has done in our J-Town family and looking forward to where He's leading us. we're doing that, I encourage you to go to Ephesians chapter 4. Um, the passage of Scripture is in the bulletin, and it'll be on the screen here in just a minute. And so if you're... If you're just joining us, we, uh, we're we just doing a small little series, kind of a, a vision series before we jump back into Matthew starting in the 1st of September. And, we, and I've entitled this series, just uh, Remembering and Longing, uh, just giving us a, some space here to remember what God has done here over the last nine years. Uh, we'll celebrate nine years together uh, next month. Uh, but yeah, just an opportunity for us to, to think and reflect upon what God's done here over the last nine years. That was primarily uh, last Sunday. So if you didn't get a chance to hear that, I encourage you to get online and listen to that. And then at the same time, there's, there's a longing. There's a desire that God would do, um, yeah, even more here. And we're praying for that and asking God um, to continue to do his work that he wants to faithfully do in our midst. And so another way of even, uh, uh, you know, approaching this series or thinking about this series uh, is answering three questions. It's kind of how I've Framed it from my mindset, just, it just didn't sound very engaging, you know what I'm saying? Remembering and longing seems a little bit more inviting than, hey, here's three questions we want to answer over the next three weeks, but this is how I'm thinking about it, all right? So I got to get a little bit more laughter, even if it sounds stupid, all right? Give me a, a courteous laugh, it'll be good. Uh, so the first question is, I just wanted to talk about where we've been, and so that's what we did last week. Let's look at where we've been, how's God brought us uh, to where we are uh, over these last nine years. Second is, this question is like, who are we? I want to kind of define that a little bit better. And then next week, I want to talk about where we're going. Like, where are we headed? Where are some places we want to uh, land our focus over the next few years? And so today, uh, in, in answering that question, who are we, I, I, want to, I want to talk about our values. And so I promise it won't be boring. Uh, that may sound very businesslike. But I'll, I'll dive into that here in just a minute. And then I, I want to focus in on just primarily one value and really um, hopefully encourage us to take some next steps in this one value that I think is really important uh, for the life of our church. So Ephesians 4 is going to be kind of our guide this morning. So if you're able, uh, I encourage you to stand with me in honor of reading God's Word. So we're going to start here in verse 11 and, and read down to verse 16. So hear the word of the Lord. And he himself, that's in reference to Jesus because of the context there, the verses before it, so, and he himself gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, equipping the saints for the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ, until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of God's Son, growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. And then we will no longer be little children tossed by the waves and blown around in every wind of teaching but by human cunning with cleverness um, uh, and the techniques of deceit. But speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ. For him, the whole body, fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament, promotes the growth of the body by building up for itself in love, by the proper working of each individual part. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, once again, we're reminded um, that there's, a, there's a kind of a mysterious special way that your spirit is present with us when you, the children of God gather together and we can feel and experience and celebrate that. So we give thanks for that, God. And we ask for your spirit to help us to understand and as well as to live out what you're laying before us in this passage. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Maybe may be seated. Yeah, so over the last several months, our, our elder team and some of our staff have been uh, meeting uh, at least monthly, and part of what we're doing together is, is kind of answering those three questions. Let's celebrate where we've been. Let's be thankful for that. Let's define better who we are and where we're headed. And part of this work is still in process. I just want to let you know, we're not, it's not a completed work, and, and that's okay. Like, I, I, I'm very much a team player. I'm a collaborator. I want people on the same page. And so that's part of the reason why we're doing this together the way we're doing it. Uh, but one of the things that we did over these few months is define better our values, which have a way of kind of defining who we are. And, and values, as one writer says, they're kind of beliefs made visible and all that basically means is this, is that there's, a, there's kind of a feel, there's a cultural experience that you have in our gatherings, you, you even feel it in our community groups, so when you, you come in here, there's something that you feel here, and what you feel is values, right, that's, that's what you're feeling, these, these kind of uh, sort of hidden beliefs, things that we come around that are felt, that are sort of made visible, and so uh, we feel like it's important for us to declare what those are, right? So if we, if we like something that we're feeling, let's define what that is so that we can better live into this. And so we have eight values. Uh, three of them are, are ones that um, we as a family of churches unite around. So we are a part of a, what we call a sojourn collective It's a family of five local churches here. One of them is us, Sojourn Church J-Town, Sojourn Church East, Sojourn Church New Albany, Sojourn Church Midtown, which meets down in the uh, Shelby Park area, and then Sojourn Church Carlisle, which we just started uh, this spring. And so there are are three kind of um, values that define us and we unite around. And so there's common DNA, so to speak, when you roll into this congregation and East. There's some similarities, but there's differences, but there's a lot of similarities. And then we also defined uh, kind of five that we feel like are unique to us here at J-Town that we want to continue to unite around and live into. And so I'm going to read these really quick. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on each one of these. I'm going to take one and unpack for us. That's where we're just going with one of these tonight or this morning because I feel like it's very fitting for us. So you got these in your, uh, your little bulletin, I encourage you to grab or handout. I don't know what, the, what you call that, the leaflet bulletin back in my day, uh, maybe it's dating me a little bit but that's okay. So uh, I'm just going to walk, read through these real quick so, you, so all of us kind of know these are our values, this is what we want to be about uh, here at Sojourn Church J-Town. So the first three are the ones that unite us collectively as a family of church and the first one is we value truth here. Because we are people who stand under the word, under the Bible, not over it. And we do not use this truth as a weapon to use on others. Instead, first and foremost, we use this truth as a mirror. We value beauty here because our longing for beauty is ultimately a longing for God. We value goodness here because we are recreated in Christ to do good works. We want to be a people that is marked by both word and deed. We value the gospel here because Jesus forms and fuels all that we do. We value grace here because everything is a gift from God. Therefore, all of life is lived open-handedly. We value relationships here because we're designed for and transformed through relationships. We value hospitality here because every person matters to God. This means I love and pursue them, especially those who are different from me. And we value genuineness, which is kind of what we talked about last week. Because honesty with God, with ourselves, and with one another leads to wholeness. So hopefully none of those are surprise. Right? Hopefully you're not reading those going, huh, I didn't, well then wouldn't I guess that for this church, you know what I'm saying? Because if, if that was your experience, then they're they're not a real value, right? It's just like, well, we're—it's a make-believe or kind of, sort of maybe, but not really. So hopefully, when you're hearing those, you're going, "Yeah, I, I feel that. I've, oh yeah, that's that's what that is. You've just put a put a name, a label, so to speak, on what I've experienced uh, in this community. And so what I want to do this morning, briefly, is I, I do I want to talk about our um, our relational value. That we value relationships here. I think it's really fitting that we do this, uh, especially with community groups commissioning that went on this this morning where we have seven brand new group leaders are stepping into life, our community uh, with their transformed, transforming presence to be hopefully a faithful presence of love within the context of a home. And I thank God for this. I mean, this, I mean, we we look at this and think, oh, that's probably pretty easy to get these people ready to go, but it's not. It takes a lot of work to get these seven couples ready to launch some groups and step in to group leadership. And Josh Wilson is the one that makes that happen, and I thank God for this man. And I know he's not in this room right now, but I think it's good for us to acknowledge that by just giving him a hand. (laughs) I wish he was in here. All right, we can give him a high five and a pat on the butt, which would be kind of weird. but, um, But Josh does. He does a ton of work here, and I'm just very, very thankful for Amy. He's used the one that receives a lot of crap and so um, and I would use the more stronger term because that's what it is at, at times uh, but might offend a few people in this room. Um, but thank God for Josh he's done a, a really good work here And so yeah, I just want to spend a few minutes talking about our relational value and at the end of kind of the deal today, uh, here's what I'm after. Um, if you're in a group, thank God I got, Thank God for you. It's awesome. If you're already in a community group, man, praise God for you. My encouragement for you today, and hopefully you'll hear this uh, through the message, is that you would continually be more and more present. Sometimes we can um, we can just kind of view community group as kind of like a, a little box that I check. You know, I showed up. I did my deal. But we weren't really there. We weren't really present. Um, Maybe we're more like this posture, kind of holding things close and tight. And so hopefully at the end here, you'll be encouraged to be more present. You'll be encouraged to maybe take a risk and share more of your own life. If you're not in a group uh, and this stuff is new to you, then my encouragement for you, hopefully at the end, is that you would step into one, that you would find a group that's close to where you live and that this week, or next week, whenever works best for you, that you would land in a home and say, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to step in and begin to engage in group life here. Maybe you're here and you've been out of group for a while. And I get that some of you in this room, that you need to kind of put pause and I don't know, there's all kinds of different circumstances on why we kind of need to put a pause on group. Um, but my encouragement at the end of this today, is that, that, you would, that you would come back, that you would step back in and be a part of our group life here. Relationships are really um, a strange deal. I mean, you see the definition there. We said we value relationships here because we are designed for them. So, so we are designed for relationships because we're created by a triune God who exists in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. How that all works out, I have no idea, right? I mean, it's an absolute mystery, but we know that that's how God has revealed Himself. And so He existed in this perfect relational community, and He creates humanity not out of a need. (laughs) You know, it's not like, you know, I'm just not getting along with God the Son, Name's Jesus. He's kind of annoying right now. You know, it's like always begging for things. I'm just, maybe I'm going to create Adam. Maybe that'll help fill this relational void that I'm kind of feeling. Thanks for a few laughters there. Hopefully that's not sacrilegious. But you know what I'm saying? God did not create out of need. He created out of an overflow of his joy of what he's experiencing in this beautiful community of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And he wants you to experience that in relationship with him and in relationship with one another. So you're designed for relationships. That's not a Christianity thing. That's a humanity thing. And at the same time, we're transformed through relationships. Some of our deepest pain, this is is the the craziness of relationships. Some Some of our deepest wounds come from the people that we're so close to. Your parents, a sibling, a spouse. A kid, some of our deepest wounds come through relationships. But the reality is this, too, that our healing of those deep wounds also come through relationships. I know that sounds crazy, but it is true. Like our need for Jesus, as Ashley Stevenson reminded me a couple weeks ago, looks a lot like our need for one another. So it's not just Jesus and me, and I'm going to blaze a trail and make it happen. You won't make it. You're not that strong. You're not. You're not that mature. I'm not that strong. I'm not that mature. And so what I'm, what I'm trying to do this morning, in this brief time we got, is I'm trying to encourage you to engage relationally within the context of this community that God has sovereignly placed you into. Yes, yes, guys. You made a choice, and that choice was real, you're not a puppet. You know, he's not just directing you around. No, you, some of you went to a membership class that felt like you were entering into the CIA. It's like, my gosh, will you want social security number now? Like, what in the world is this? This five, 20-hour class, whatever it is. You know what I'm saying? There's a few laughter because some of you endured that. Others of you just kind of rolled in here because a friend invited you. Others of you saw our sign, as crazy as this sounds, that says, wow, I didn't know there was a church back there. I'm going to just show up. But here's, Here's what we do know, because our theology teaches us this. Yes, you made a choice, but you also rolled in here by the very sovereign hand of God. He controlled your landing in this body. And I want to encourage you, then therefore engage relationally within the community that God has sovereignly placed you in. Because he's got a purpose for that. So if you look, I mean, I don't, I don't I think some of this might be great reminders for a lot of us in this room. Some of this may be brand new. I'm just going after one big idea here in Ephesians chapter 4. But look what, what uh, Paul does here. And I encourage you to grab a bulletin or if you've got your own Bible, whatever. If you, if you mark your Bible up, if you don't do that, that's fine. There's no guilt there. Uh, but if you enjoy writing your Bible, do that. Or just take your bulletin, handout, whatever you want to call it. And I want, I'm want going to read through this again, and I want you to see all the places where things are in the plural. All right, just, just highlight that. It's on the screen here. And I've forgotten one, and I saw that in the nine as I'm reading, so bear with me. He himself gives some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. They're plural, and I miss that. It's like, oh yeah, that's a plural part here, so That's supposed to be bold and underlined, but it's not. Moving on. All right, here we go. Equipping, here it is. The saints, that's plural, for the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ. So so I get it. Body is kind of singular, but body is made up of many parts. You don't just look at someone's arm and say, that's a body. No, you're not a body. You're an arm. That's that's dumb. So body is, is singular, but it's made up of a lot of parts. Verse 13, until what we all, plural, reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of God's Son, growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. Then we, there it is again, will no longer be what? Little children. There it is again. Hopefully you're marking these in your bulletin because hopefully they will jump out. you tossed by waves, blown around by every teaching, by human cunning, with cleverness in the techniques of deceit. But speaking the truth in love, let us, there it is again, grow in every way into him who is the head Christ. From him the whole body, there's plural again, and knitted together by every supporting ligament promotes the growth of, there it is again, the body for building up itself in love by the proper working of each individual part and I underlined all of that because yes, it's it's each individual part that is working together as one. Plurality, each individual part that's coming together as one. So look, this is something I want to highlight that we have a tendency to overlook here. And the reason why I had us go back into this passage and underline every place where we see the plural is because we have a tendency to read but not really hear it. Look, Paul is trying to help us see that our growth is a unified growth, that our growth is interdependent, that our growth is bound to that of others. And that is not something we automatically think, so that when we read in Ephesians 4 and we hear all these plurals, we're not hearing plurals. We're thinking, I I know it sounds kind of crazy. How could you be reading something and you're not really hearing it? Here's the best way that I can illustrate this. So this past Tuesday we're um, sitting down as a family and the next day's school and so we're just like like pushing reboot or you know like hey here we go. School's getting ready to start. It's going to be kind of crazy. Busy schedules. Here's some things we need to do as a family. We need to start picking up after each other. Right? We need to Take our shoes, put them in here. If you see a sink full of dishes, we need to put those in the dishwasher without us really asking you, like like we just need to function as a family. You know, mom and dad are not your perpetual servants where we're just here to wait on you hand and foot, even though you may think that. And my desire with this conversation was that this would be kind of a good conversation, kind of lighthearted a little bit, but I think it came across as getting kind of yelled at. You know what I'm saying? It's like I didn't mean for that to come, because that's the feedback I got from my kids afterwards. It's like, that's not my goal, and I, and I hear that. like, so we had to, had to repent a little bit of what it kind of came across as more heavy-handed. Like, you know, Dad, like I like you're kind of getting all this, and all of a sudden, I don't have an appetite anymore. And It's like, oh, my gosh, I'm a horrible kid, blah, blah, blah. But all, we're, all I was trying to do is like, hey, rally the troops. Let's work hard together try to get her home in somewhat of order so we don't come home to chaos. And, you know, my kids are, they're great, man, uh, good kids, not as a result of anything I'm doing, but by the grace of God, uh, I love them dearly, obviously. And so, you know, yeah, they're going, yeah, let's do this. We're with you. We'll start cleaning up after ourselves. And, and so a few days pass. And what happens, right? Come home, or shoes in the middle of the floor. <laughs> There's some pants thrown in the kitchen, you know. It's like, I, I don't know how that got here, but I'm sure there's a reason why there's pants in the kitchen, right? Book Bags flowing everywhere. There's a yogurt bowl that, that almost made it to the sink. It, I mean, it was on the counter. But if you're in my house, it's the farthest part of the counter. It's like you walk in my door from the living room, the doorway, and here's the counter right there. The sink's way down there there was a yogurt bowl. It's like, all right, I moved it from the living room to the kitchen. Woohoo! And like, so what do you do with that? I mean, are, am I, is my kids being disobedient? No, they're not. They're not. It's not like they're consciously going, mom and dad, they're a goose. They don't have a clue what they're talking about. This is why they're created, to wait on me all the time, right? (laughs) Just throw my shoes wherever I want to. I don't give a rip what they said. That's not what's going on. All they're doing is what their kind of default is, isn't it? This is what their default is. Over the last several months, I just put my yogurt bowl right there. My shoes were always in. It's not like this conscious decision that, oh, wow, you know, we had this conversation Tuesday, so I want to be disobedient. No, it's just... It's in them. That's what we do with this passage. It is, guys. And here's how we read this passage. And he himself gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, equipping me for the work of ministry to build me up in Christ. And I, until I, reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of God's Son, growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness, then I, I think it's, there we go, there it is, then I will no longer be what? A child tossed by waves, blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning, blah, blah, blah. Verse 15, but speaking the truth in love, I will grow in every way into him who is the head of Christ. And I can't even take verse 16 and put it in the singular because it won't even make sense. But I'm telling you guys, look, look, look. All of us in this room, including me, that's how we read it. Even though we know what plural is. Even though we know there's not one pronoun that's singular there. But that's how we read it. Me, I, I, me, the idea that I am somehow tied to you for my own growth is absolutely foreign. And not just foreign, it's something that I don't even want to mess with, right? It's like you do your thing, I'm going to do my thing. I'm good with my transformation and my growth as a follower of Jesus Christ. But to be tied with you, man, I don't know. You're kind of lame. You're not just lame. You're kind of annoying. Like, I got my own thing going on here. And there's a lot of reasons why that's the case and why that's so in us. I'll give you a couple. One is our, our, our society is highly in an individualistic society. It's, it's the culture. It's the ethos. We think me first before we ever even get a thought to we. And guys, look, it's not just in the culture, it's embedded in us. It's, it's here. It's in us. Sin is ultimately about me, right? What I want to do, what I want to be. That's what sin ultimately is. So it's in us, and then I live in a culture that affirms that reality. And so, because, look, I'm, I'm just... Like some of you may give pushback to that, and I'm okay with your pushback. I'm just trying to help you see this is the culture you live in, and you're affected by it more than you even realize it because it's default. David Brooks, in his uh, book on Second Mountain, gives a language of this kind of hyper-individualism is what he calls it, and this is what he says uh, about it. The reigning ethos of our day is a system of morals and feelings and ideas and practices based on the idea that the journey through life is an individual journey, that the goals of life are individual happiness and authenticity and self-actualization and self-sufficiency. It puts the same question on everybody's lips. What can I do to make myself happy? And that's on all of our lips. And it comes out in um, Christian circles. I'm not getting fed. What do you have for me? How do you want to use my gifts? I'm not feeling connected here. Because look, I, don't don't... Have me say things that I'm not saying. I'm just trying to help us see that there is a pervasive individualism that's in us so that when we think about me being bound to others for my growth and their growth, us actually doing this in a unified way, it's really foreign. We don't even have a category for it. Another reason why this is the case is that if you're a follower of Christ here, there's sort of, um, I think what I would call like spiritual DNA, it's what I got in my notes, It should follow my notes, I'm just trying to make sure I say it in a way that make, makes you understand it, or like a spiritual heritage, you don't you don't come to faith in Christ kind of like um, in a vacuum, it, it, there's things that are shaping you and forming you whether you realize it or not, and, and it's, it's like this. If you go to the doctor, you ever done like the family medical history? Your doctor ever done that with you? Raise your hand. Okay, like, okay, thank you. It's like one person? You guys don't go to the doctor? Am I saying something heretical up here? It's like, it's good to go to the doctor, amen. Right? I think so. All right. But you usually kind of like go through like a medical history. Has your mom and dad ever had this? Or what, all that is is just basically trying to help you see your heritage, where you're coming from, that you may, you may be prone to these things. Doesn't necessarily mean you're gonna have it, but there could be some of this in you. Well, the same is true for our own Christianity. Well over 200 years ago, a Christian movement called Revivalism under the leadership of a guy named Charles Finney that in essence said this, and I think it's a quote on the screen here, true religion began to be associated with the extreme, the emotional moment, the passionate choice, and the mountaintop experience. So please hear me. Like, I'm not fully against any of that. I think there's a place for that. There's a place for it here. Like, we want to engage your emotions here, and I don't find anything wrong with that. Like, I don't just read my sermon. First of all, I couldn't do that. I mean, I would just, like, I'm done. Like, I don't like hearing myself for crying out loud. But i this is just kind of how I am. But at the same time, guys, I want you to feel something here. There's, yes, man. We want you to feel something when we're singing music, and there's a way that we perform the music to help you feel it. Now, you can call that manipulation. Call it whatever you want to. But I believe God created music for us to feel something. Right? I remember I went on a run. This was a few months ago. I'm listening to that song by Phil Wickham that we just sang there, and, dude, I just started crying. I'm like, why am I crying? (laughs) Right? I'm in the middle of a run on this road, thank God. It was early in the morning when no one saw me. Like, I am weeping. That's a part of the gift of music, and there is is something we want to do here like that, so I'm not fully against this. However, the problem is this, is that it caused a suspicion, This, this idea of religion that I just put up, put that quote back up there, Trevor, if you don't mind. This idea of religion caused a suspicion toward the local church because that seemed too mundane, seemed to be a drag. And what was needed was a new personal revival, void of this. Julie Canlis, in her little book called the Theology of an Ordinary, says this. And it's on the screen. With Finney and our d- religious DNA, the, the normal faithful things of our lives feel well ordinary. I mean, guess look, thank God for all seven of these group leaders that are they're opening their homes, they're opening their lives and, and leading groups. Here's the reality, right? Their work will feel pretty ordinary There may be moments when they're leading group where the Spirit of God comes in a powerful way and he does something in that group. But the reality is this, you're going to roll in next week? You guys got anything to say? What can we pray for you about? Crickets. Has the Spirit of God left? No, he has not. Who wants to be bound to other Christians who are paying their mortgages, raising kids, or suffering depression when we can be blazing a trail with God on our own? It's more fun to be a part of movements than churches. That's convicting. We can express our own individuality, pick our favorite leaders, and be swept off our feet at conferences. We can be anonymous. Scripture, on the other hand, teaches us that our growth is bound to that of others and other people take time we don't always want to give. So please hear me, guys. This is all I'm trying to do here. I'm trying to help us see, like, why do we read something that's full of plurals but we really hear personal pronouns, I, and me. It's because we live in a radically individualistic culture that's affecting every single one of us in this room, including me. And you have a spiritual heritage that has a way of like going after this mountaintop experience all about your own personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And this is looked at as optional. My self-transformation, my growth, I'm all on board. But this, this, this local Body, this people, it's nice. I kind of like coming on Sundays. They got decent music. Preachers usually halfway decent every once in a while. You know, like the food. Food's great. But me actually engaging relationally with these people, I don't have to. And Paul has no category for that. None. It's not on his radar. I mean, look. I mean, just highlight a few. Look at verse 13. What did he say? Until we all. So God is, Jesus has gifted the church with men and women to lead and shepherd and equip the body. And the reason why he's doing that is so what? Why? So that you, singular, can get all, like, reach unity? No, no. So that all of us right here, not, look, not talking about the universal body of Christ. He's talking about the actual local body. He has a group of people in Ephesus in ma- imagined here. Not something out there. No, right here. So that we all will reach the unity. Not just I. Verse 16. From the whole body filled, fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament promotes the growth of the body for the building up itself in love by the proper working of each individual part. By the proper working of each individual part. You are needed here. Right? You're, you are needed by others here. Your part is, is an essential part for us to grow into oneness and health so that we'll be strong and steady and not tossed around all over the place. It's not just me. I mean, if you would go home today, driving down Tavisville Road, you'd see a leg on the side of the road? What would you say? you say, hey, man, that, that leg's got a personal relationship with his knee. Hallelujah, right? It's like, no, you wouldn't well, go man, there's something seriously wrong here, right? Let's call 911. There's a guy or a girl walking around with a leg, right? It's like it, it yeah, thank you for kind of getting that. We would see something seriously wrong with that. But a lot of us functionally live like that. We're the, the arm that just rolls in here, does the deal. And then doesn't engage relationally within this community. You go to the first of this chapter, in chapter 4, verses 1 through 2. Paul says this Therefore, I, the prisoner in the Lord, urge you, and that word is plural, they would get some Kentucky people to help translate the CSB. We would put y'all, amen, right? I mean, that's the plural of you. Amen? Can I have some Kentucky people shake their hand with me? Yeah, so so here's my translation. Urge y'all all right, to live worthy of the calling y'all have received with all humility and gentleness with patience bearing with one another in love. How? How do, you, how do you live with all humility and gentleness and patience bearing with one another in love? How does that happen? If I would come to you to be You know, sometime you know earlier this week, before you knew we're talking about relationships here, and I would ask you, how do you grow in humility? I guarantee you, nine times out of ten, I would hear this. Well, I you know I'd find a Bible study on humility. There are a ton of them going on around here in the city of Louisville. You'd find some Bible study that's probably landing on humility. I'd go that Bible study, spend ten weeks, learn on humility. Or you know what? Hey, you know what? I I can go on the internet, go to Google, and say humility, and guess what shows up? thousands of sermons on humility, right? You can go to our website, Google humility. I'm sure we've landed on humility. I'll listen to a, a thousand sermons over the next three months and learn about humility. Or, or some of you say, you know what? I'll go to Amazon. Amazon, the Walmart of the Internet, whatever. I, I don't know. You get on there and you, and you like just do a search of like humility. And guess what you find? Hundreds upon hundreds of books written on humility, and so we're going to read that book, and I'm going to grow in humility. If Paul was among us right now, and we ask him that question, how do I grow in humility, Paul? He would look at our cultural moment and our context, and he would say this, where's the space in your church where you're trying to gather relationally? I'd say it's community groups. Then get in a community group. That's how you learn humility. Humbling yourself before one another in isolation. (laughs) I don't know, is that going to work? I mean, what I'm extremely encouraged about when I look up here on the stage is that we got seven couples that represent the span of generations. We don't have everybody in their 30s, we don't have everybody in their 60s. We got almost all generations represented here, and I thank God for that, because we want to be diverse in a lot of ways. One of those ways is a multi-generational church, but listen to me. It will not happen unless we're willing to humble ourselves before one another, Because if we're unwilling to humble ourselves before one another, then we will just become a multi-generational church, but we all meet in our little pockets. And we just kind of come here together and tolerate one another. See, my concern is that everybody saw someone in their 50s and 60s, and if you're in your 50s and 60s and you're not in a group, what's your default? Oh, I'm going to go to that. My concern is if you're in your 20s and 30s and you're not in a group and you're in your 20s and 30s, you looked up here, "Ah, I think they're probably in their 20s and 30s, I'm going to go to that. That's not what Jesus had in mind when he pictures the church. It's a multi-generational church where we've got to learn how to humble ourselves before one another the 50s the 60s the 70 year olds need to learn how to humble ourselves before the 20 and 30 year olds and not feel like hey whenever I ride up on the scene I've got all the answers you need to be coming and asking these questions I need to be mentoring you because you don't have a clue what you're talking about there's some truth in that right but your posture needs to be I'm gonna humble myself before one another and I'm gonna humble myself as someone is still learning and I can learn from a 20 year old and a 30 year old If you're in your 20s and 30s, man, you're trying to prove yourself, make things happen for you, whatever it is. And sometimes we can see someone in their 50s and 60s and 70s and get a little intimidated, whatever. I'm just saying humble yourself before them. Go and ask questions. Be curious. You don't have it all figured out. How do you grow in patience? Well, I guarantee you this. You're rolling in a community group. You have annoying people in there. And those that are not laughing have never been in a community group, all right? <laughs> I promise you, if you're trying to find a group that is not annoying, then maybe you shouldn't show up. <laughs> because you're the one, right? You're the one they talk about when they go home. Oh, gosh, he showed up again, right? Or here he is. I mean, guys, you cannot learn patience in isolation. And God wants to do that work in you. It's a good work. How do you bear with one another's burdens? How do you bear with one another in love? Bearing with one another seems hard and difficult. I think that's part of the the negative of living in an overchurched area. I mean, what Paul is talking about here is the re- one of the reasons why he's so strong on unity and oneness is because this is it. There's no second community church of Ephesus. <laughs> this is it. And you are a visible representation of Jesus Christ. And you guys have got to learn how to bear with one another in love so that you can show who Christ is to a lot of people who have no idea who Jesus is. And as long, like, guys, we just need to acknowledge. It's easy. It's easy here. If I get frustrated, if I get angry, if I get hurt, if someone says some slight remark to me and doesn't ask for forgiveness, if this doesn't follow through with my expectation, I can just go one mile and land in another church. And Paul has no concept for that. None. And I'm not saying that you should never leave your church. Please don't say what I'm not saying. I'm just saying if we're going to learn how to bear with one another in love, then we got to bear. You don't bear when you push the eject button, when it gets hard. I was just sitting down with some missionaries in Turkey this past week, and I said, what are you you noticing as you come back to the States? And here's their first answer. There's a lot of options. They're just talking about like Walmart. You know, I can go to the store and I got like, I can get all kinds of different steaks, all kinds of hamburger from the horrible hamburger to the organic fed to, you know, chickens raised on one person's yard to chickens raised in a cage. It's crazy the amount of options. You live in Turkey, you got one, maybe two of the same thing. And the same with church. They've, they've got one church in their location, one Christian church. That's it. Nothing else. For thousands of miles. And I'm not exaggerating. We bear with one another when we intentionally engage relationally in this community and we stay. We stay. So look, I'm I'm done. I just want to encourage us. I'm not trying to make anyone feel this unnecessary guilt because guilt doesn't last. I'm not. Sometimes the guilt from the Holy Spirit is a good thing, so maybe the Spirit's doing that in you. I don't know. But I'm not trying to make you feel like a horrible Christian because you're not in group. I'm not trying to make you feel like, oh, my gosh, you signed a covenant, and if you're not in community group, here comes Lyle at your door. Bong, bong, bong. I'm not going to do that. I don't lead with a heavy hand, nor do any of our elders, and we'll never do that here. We trust that the Holy Spirit is at work in people's lives. But I am encouraging you. I'm inviting you. Do you want to be strong? Not strong physically, but strong emotionally, spiritually, and physically. Do you want to stay the course? Do you want to be steady? Do you not want to be tossed around with all the craziness that's going on in our culture? Do you want to grow into more and more wholeness and maturity? Then here here it is. It sounds simplistic, but it isn't. Engage relationally within the community that God has put you in. Get in a group. Get in a group. Let's pray together. And Father, just help us, Lord. I know there's probably all kinds of like, but what about this? But what about that? If this, I've been hurt been damaged I've been wounded I know there's all kinds of questions God and I don't want to give trite answers or blow over those as if they're not real and 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 hard God but I'm just asking that by your spirit you would just show us maybe what's what's a small step into it into community here into relationships here maybe the small step isn't group but what is that small step that we can take Lord may your spirit show us and may your spirit help us christ's name we pray amen hey i'm lyle drury and the lead pastor at sojourn church J-town. thanks for listening we are here to reach people with the gospel build them up as a church and send them into the world to be a faithful loving presence for more sermons info about our church or ways you can support our ministry visit sojournchurch.com slash town